Good morning. It's Thursday, May 6th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shemitha Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. That's the sound of police clashing with protesters in Colombia. The Washington Post reports government security forces violently responded to recent protests against an unpopular tax move. Dozens of people are reportedly now dead, and many more are missing. The Post has reporters on the ground in South America and helps us get up to speed. President Yvonne Duque proposed a tax hike to make up for increased government spending during the pandemic. On Sunday, he pulled that tax proposal. But protests have intensified over economic inequality and human rights policy. All this as the pandemic has killed tens of thousands of people and drained the country's reserves. Analysts who watch the region worry the unrest could have wider impact. Paul Angelo has an opinion piece in The Post. He used to work at the U.S. Embassy in Bogota, and he argues Duque's policies are failing the country and undermines the progress it's made to reform security forces. Angelo explains in Colombia, there's so many factors that have contributed to a militarized police force. They spent decades fighting the FARC. It was the country's largest rebel group. After a peace deal in 2016, officers were transitioned to beat work in cities and towns, a very different assignment. And that same year, hundreds of officers were fired in a human rights and corruption scandal. But under Duque, some police seem to be reverting back to militaristic tendencies. Angelo is calling for independent investigations of police human rights violations. And he says Colombia needs to make its police force fully civilian, cutting ties with the military. These protests against police brutality and taxes have brought in to be about growing inequality in Colombia. Since the pandemic began, 3.6 million Colombians have fallen into poverty. The number of families who don't have enough food to eat three meals a day has tripled. Demonstrators are saying they want the government to do a wholesale restructuring of everything from policing to health care. For the past several decades, tech companies have enjoyed broad legal protection from being held responsible for what users post online. This protection comes from a tiny provision called Section 230. It was tucked into a 1996 communications law. In recent years, as social media platforms have had to grapple with the sometimes destructive behavior of their users, there's been a lot of attention on whether Section 230 needs an update. This week, a federal appeals court issued a ruling that could invite a wave of challenges. NPR brings us this story involving Snapchat and a deadly car crash. In 2017, a group of young men in Wisconsin went for a drive. The 17-year-old driver was going 123 miles per hour. One of the passengers opened Snapchat to use its speed filter, which lets users share how fast they're traveling. That was just before the car ran off the road. It crashed into a tree, and all of the passengers died. The boys' families sued Snapchat. Now, they claimed the speed filter encouraged reckless driving. A judge dismissed the case, saying Section 230 protects Snapchat. This case was appealed, and that's when we got our surprise decision. A panel of judges reversed the lower court ruling. They say Section 230 does not apply in this case. 
It isn't about what a user posted on Snapchat, they ruled, but rather the design of the app itself. NPR says bigger picture, this decision may encourage more lawsuits from plaintiffs' attorneys who are hoping to chip away at Section 230's broad protections. A law professor tells NPR that sooner or later, it looks like the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in. There's a political article with a perspective on the Supreme Court that is not about the usual fights over nominations. It looks at the lack of diversity in law and how justices may be making the problem worse. The author, she writes from a personal perspective. Sarah Isger is a Harvard Law grad who clerked on the Fifth Circuit Court. She also worked in the Justice Department during the Trump administration. And Isger argues in Politico that this system, where Supreme Court justices choose their own clerks, is flawed, that it disproportionately locks women and people of color out. And that's because, she explains, before a rising lawyer is considered for a Supreme Court clerkship, there's this expectation that they first have to prove themselves by clerking in multiple lower court roles. Devoting those years to clerking, for relatively low pay, it can be tough. It's especially hard for people who don't come from wealthy families and had to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars for law school. Isger says... All of this is holding back underrepresented groups, people whose financial circumstances and family needs make it hard for them to take this long path. When white men dominate the world of Supreme Court clerks, they're the ones who are in line for the most prestigious roles, partnerships at big firms, appointments to the federal bench. And that means future generations of lawyers and judges won't be nearly as diverse as America. When Supreme Court justices pick clerks, they're practically guaranteeing these young lawyers outstanding careers. Isger argues, justices need to consider a broad range of candidates, not just those who are privileged enough to be able to afford several years clerking in lower courts. Diversity on the Supreme Court gets a lot of attention. But as this piece lays out, diversity is also important for the people working behind the scenes. Even if they don't become judges, they do shape the American legal system. Chances are you or someone you know turned to animals for comfort during the pandemic. Maybe you adopted a puppy or a kitten. But have you thought about renting a chicken? Yeah, she said renting a chicken. (laughs) This is an increasingly popular trend. National Geographic breaks it all down. The rentals last a few weeks or several months. They typically include two to four egg-laying hens and all the supplies you need to care for the birds. Coops, bedding, food. Apparently the pandemic made a lot of people with backyards think, hey, I'm home. I could take care of some chickens. Demand surged across the country last year, and it stayed strong this year, too. Chicken rental businesses say they're running out of birds months ahead of schedule. They have long waiting lists. Chicken enthusiasts say these birds provide more than just fresh daily eggs. Like any other pet, they offer companionship, help teach kids about responsibility. 13-year-old Max found his chickens have distinct personalities. He says they're like little people. Plus, animal researchers say they're a lot smarter than you think. Studies show chickens keep track of social hierarchies and baby chicks can even do arithmetic. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow. 